Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Good morning. I have a challenge for you. If you're online, you can, you can play as well. I want you to think for a moment about a celebrity that you have met. And I, I'm not talking about like Paul Barris or Cindy Sexton, local news, news people. I, I'm talking about like a real-life celebrity, somebody that you might want an autograph from. Who, who's, who's met a, a real-life celebrity? Just call them out if you've, if you've met a real-life celebrity. If you're online, you can type it in the chat box. Kathy Lee Gifford, whoa. Sabrina Carpenter. Steve Spurrier, that's a real celebrity right there. John Walsh, okay. Who? Oh, Mark Lemke from the Braves, okay. Well, you guys, this side of the room over here, y'all are really plugged in. This is the upper echelon of the Chattanooga Valley social elite over here. So, wow. I'll tell you that probably the most famous person that, that I have ever met... Uh, was uh, we were at the Cheesecake Factory in Atlanta, and this little fella right here on the front row was uh, was about this big. Uh, he is a little bitty fella, and we were sitting there, and this gigantic, tall fella came walking by. It was Shaquille O'Neal. He came walking by our booth, and he actually stopped and 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 talked to us. and And we didn't have we didn't have the right frame of mind to even grab a picture. But he stuck his gigantic the man's like 27 feet tall, and his hand is the size of this pulpit. He stuck his gigantic hand out, and, and Matthew put his little bitty baby hand out, and we had this moment of, uh, of this little bitty lily white hand, I mean, in this, in this big old hand. And it was this incredible moment uh, where, again, I wish we had gotten a picture, but we met, we met Shaquille O'Neal there at the Cheesecake Factory. You know, have you ever noticed that we have, uh, this generation that we're in, we've seen the rise of a particular kind of, of celebrity culture. Of course, we still revere famous movie stars. We, um, we have our share of celebrity athletes. However, this generation has, has created celebrities who are famous for being famous. You, of course, you would probably think of, uh, of the last name Kardashian. And this is probably maybe the only time that name will be mentioned from this pulpit. <laughs> I don't know why that family draws so much attention, other than the fact that they draw attention. And, I mean, you've got, of course, uh, you've got... Bruce Jenner there, and, and you know, you had the reality TV show that, that went along with it, and of course you've got, uh, you know, Kanye West involved, and so, so I mean, this is a, this is a, a pot that's brewing for attention. I mean, it's, it's, it's designed to, to draw attention, uh, but did you know that Kim Kardashian has 189 million followers on Instagram? How many of y'all follow her on Instagram? So I ain't on it, I don't. I can go check. I mean, I can see. I mean, no Academy Awards, no Grammys, really nothing there. Uh, the whole family 
is really, a, it's less than an ideal situation. Uh, I saw a, a picture that came across the internet this week, and it said that uh, it was kind of a, a funny political post, and it was making fun of when Joe Biden was elected to office, and it, and it had a picture of, um, and it said, this is what uh, uh, Caitlyn Jenner and Betty White looked like when Joe Biden was first elected to the Senate, and it was a picture of Bruce Jenner. <laughs> And Betty White was this was this young blonde bombshell there, and so uh, I, I laughed more than I should have when I saw that picture. <laughs> but I think it's safe to say that the the Kardashian family has mastered the art of being in the public eye and garnering attention at every available opportunity. You know, there there's some people who really thrive being in the in the public eye. I, I mean. I certainly understand how that feels after becoming a world-famous televangelist back in March. Uh, some of y'all are like, is he joking? <laughs> All kidding aside, though, when it comes to our faith, I believe it's impossible for us to separate our public persona from our personal faith. At the same time, though, our faith is not practiced so that we look for the praises of man. Our journey through the Sermon on the Mount is continuing this, this brutal examination of our heart. We've seen the character of kingdom citizens expressed through the Beatitudes. We've had our commitment to kingdom values thoroughly examined, particularly as it relates to how we engage with other people. But now as we move into chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' teachings examines how we express those kingdom values in our private devotion to God. Uh, still working in the background of this, though, is Jesus' command in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those religious leaders, they were famous for their devotion that was put on display for all the world to see. However, in the kingdom of God... Our devotion to God is, is not for the praise of men, rather it's for the approval of God. So let's keep that in mind this morning as we begin our work in chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel. If you would please stand with me as we read Matthew's Gospel, beginning in chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says this, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness, before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven thus when you give to the needy sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others <clears throat> truly I say to you they have received their reward but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the, in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will 
reward you. And then we skip down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. God, I'm grateful for Jesus' teaching. We pray that you will help us to not play the part, but pray the part. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Jesus' instructions here begin with a very clear warning. He says that you need to beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Well, beware is a very strong word in the English language. If you were going to visit someone and they had a chain link fence around the house and the sign at the gate said, beware of the dog. Well, the dog is probably not like this black one that was roaming around in the parking lot this morning. That was not a, a vicious creature that, that greeted you this morning. But if you saw a sign that said, beware of the dog, then you would certainly have a, a heightened sense of alert. You would be more keenly aware of the realities of the danger that you might be facing. However, in the New Testament, the word beware is, is more than just pay attention. It's, it's more than just be alert. Beware means to pay extra close attention with an expectation of obedience. So it's not just watch out, be careful. It's, it's be careful and do what, we're, do what we're telling you to do. So if you saw a sign that said beware of the dog, that, that doesn't mean enter at your own risk. That means don't enter. Don't go in. And so when Jesus says to beware, he, he's not offering a suggestion of, of what you should do, a suggestion of how you should behave, a, a suggestion of what your spiritual devotion should look like. Instead, he is making a, a critical assertion about what our Christian devotion, what our Christian faith should look like. And, and the warning is, is really quite simple. It's be mindful of your audience. Be mindful of your audience. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, these, these religious leaders, they, they practiced their devotion so that others would see how righteous they were. They, they were almost like spiritual celebrities of the moment. If there was Instagram, they would have tons of followers, and they would post their, their behavior so that others could comment and like and, and share and all those sorts of things. And the sense was that I could never be like them. And that's the same sense that our celebrity culture creates today. I, I could never be like Shaquille O'Neal. I could never be a first baseman like Freddie Freeman. I could never be a, a musician like fill in the blanks. I, I could go in any number of directions with that. Uh, I can never be like them. I can never be as popular as them. I can never be as liked as them. I can never be famous like them. But for these religious leaders, their attention was not on the Lord. It was not on their devotion to God. It was, it was on themselves. It was on how, how famous they can make themselves to be. I think it's a very important question for us to ask, particularly in the context of a pandemic and churches all across our country are, are struggling with, with regathering. 
churches involved in lawsuits. Did you see where Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. sued the mayor of Washington, D.C. just to have permission to be able to gather in their church building? Uh, churches engage in lawsuits just to have the right to gather in their own facilities. It causes an important question. What, what's this all about? What, what is all this about? The, uh, what is, why are you here today? What is this about for you? The songs, the, the prayers, the, the assembling of ourselves together. Why have you carved this time out of your week to make this a priority? Who is this all about? Is it about you? Is it about us? Or is it about the Lord? See, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't live out our devotion. Otherwise, we'd all have to go be hermits and hide in our rooms and never come out. And the assembly would never happen because obviously we live, our, we live out our devotion in the context of community. Our faith is it's not something that, that only happens inside of the closets. But our modern secular culture, you see, it wants to keep Christianity in the church building. It doesn't want it to, to leave this place. But our faith was never intended to be segmented like that, where we have our faith and we have our family and we have our career and we have our extracurricular activities. It was never supposed to be that way. What was supposed to happen is that our faith was supposed to permeate every aspect of our life, every aspect of our being. It's supposed to permeate our homes and our, our relationships and our workplaces. That's what it was intended to be. However, even when we live out that faith in the context of the rest of our lives, we have to keep in mind who we serve, who we belong to, and the reason for our devotion. And more than anything, the reason for our devotion, it's not about our egos, it's not about our preferences, it's certainly not about the praises of men. Jesus says, beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Well, to illustrate the point, Jesus gives us three very clear examples. And I certainly could probably spend a sermon on each of these examples, but we're going to combine them into one, one point here today. Note the fact that for each of these examples that Jesus gives us, talking about giving and praying and fasting, that there is the assumption that these are regular parts of your Christian devotion. He doesn't say, if you pray. He doesn't say, if you give. He doesn't say, if you fast. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. And so there is the assumption that as followers of God, that prayer and giving and fasting and, and all those things are, are part of our devotion. But we have to ask ourselves who the audience of those expressions are, not just the expressions themselves. In each example, Jesus cautions his listeners about behaving like the hypocrites. Well, that's a, that's a dirty word, isn't it? Nobody likes to be called a hypocrite, uh, especially in the church. Don't call anybody a hypocrite because that, that's an offensive term for us. But that is a warning to us. We shouldn't look like the hypocrites. In, in the original language, the word hypocrite, we know what a hypocrite is. It's somebody who says one thing and does another. But in the original language, uh, uh, the, the original meaning of the word for hypocrite was, was an actor. And so if you were an actor, you were, you were a, a hypocrite. But, but what is an actor? An actor is, is someone who is playing a role. 
It's, it's, they're nothing like the role that they're playing. They, they leave their persona on the stage and they walk away from that and they are somebody completely different when they are not in character. I guess that's an even harsher indictment to say that we're actors, people who are simply playing a part, a part that does not reflect our true self. So in our devotion to God, is it real? Is it genuine? Or are we simply playing a part? Well, let's look at these examples that Jesus gives. He begins with verse 2. He says, when you give, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And when your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus specifically says when you give to the, to the needy, but I believe the principle extends to all charity. It's not just giving to the needy. It's just not just almsgiving or, or supporting the, the food pantry or, or those benevolent type of ministries. Our, our charity, Jesus is saying, should not be disconnected from, or our charity should be disconnected from any desire for recognition. Man, we've missed the mark on this one, haven't we? We've missed the mark on this. A couple years ago, we were at a summer camp. It was at one of our Baptist universities. And literally everything had a brass plaque on it. I mean, if, it, if they could get it still for long enough, it got a brass plaque. That's, that dog would have a brass plaque on it by the end of the service today if somebody could get it still long enough. Everything had a brass plaque on it. Every building was named after a donor. There was some big donor recognition wall in all the buildings that was covered in all the brass plaques that had everybody's name who gave anything towards its construction. If you gave money, you got your name on a brass plaque. I am convinced that modern Christians have put the brass plaque business on the map. Man, we've seen these things everywhere. What are some of the strangest places you've seen brass plaques? Think about it. What are some of the strangest places you've seen those brass plaques? Could it be that our brass plaques are exactly the thing Jesus is warning us against here? If your right hand shouldn't know what your left hand is doing, then what in the world does a brass plaque declare? It tells not just your right and left hand, it tells your neighbor's right and left hand as well. Back in 2006, we were on a mission trip down to Gulfport, Mississippi. Uh, that date should sound familiar. That was a year after Hurricane Katrina came through and, uh, and tore up so much of the, the Gulf Coast. And there was a church there that we were working with just a couple of blocks off the, the seashore. And they survived the wind, but the storm surge got to them. And so this church was, was an older church. It had been around for a long time. And, uh, but that storm surge got in there, and I mean, everything from seven feet tall on the walls and down had to come out. So all the drywall, they had to go in and strip it down to the studs and, uh, and, and really kind of start over. The floor all had to come out. It was just it was terrible. And we were digging through a, a closet that had been really trashed as a consequence of the flood there. And in that closet uh, is an old Baptist church. Guess what I found? Found a plaque 
And that plaque was covered with little tiny brass plaques that were screwed into the wood. And it was from a hymnal attempt to raise money for hymnals from, from years ago. And everybody who bought a hymnal got their name on a plaque. Well, keep in mind where the hymnals were. They didn't survive Katrina. So I took that plaque and I asked the pastor, I said, what do we do with this? And he said, you see that big green container out in the parking lot? He said, put it out there with everything else. I thought that was interesting because if he had done that prior to Hurricane Katrina, people would have ran him out on a rail because he threw away the, the memorial of their giving. But he said, uh, he said, you know, that kind of thing really didn't have much meaning in the aftermath of a hurricane. He was right on. Jesus offers this paradoxical explanation of giving. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It's, it's nobody's business. And, and if you're giving so that people will praise you and commend you on your generosity, then your reward is going to be limited to the pats on the back that you receive and whatever brass plaques that you can acquire. I've done a lot of funerals, and not once have I done a funeral where those little brass plaques got screwed to the casket. When you give, don't give in such a way that people commend you, but give in secret so that your Father in heaven gives you your reward. The second illustration is, is about praying. He says there in verse 5, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus is reminding us here that our prayers ought to be aimed in the right direction. If people stand and pray for the benefit of those hearing, then they're praying in the wrong direction. We don't pray to impress one another. That doesn't mean that our prayers shouldn't be sincere. It doesn't mean that our prayers shouldn't express theological truth. But again, Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter here. He's, he, he's not forbidding public prayer either. Some have read this and said that Jesus is, is, is offering a prohibition on public prayer. But the problem with that interpretation is all the places in the Bible where the people gather and they pray together, and there is that time of, of corporate congregational prayer. One of those examples is in Acts chapter 4. It wasn't in the closet where they prayed. It was in the assembly. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, we read, we read these words. When they were released, they went to their friends, reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, when did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. They're still praying. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And, and now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And that's not a prohibition on public prayer. If anything, the New Testament greatly affirms the role of public prayer. The disciples gathered together here corporately, they lifted words of praise. Now, that doesn't mean they memorized the script and that everybody in the room prayed this at the same time. But what it means is that, is that somebody led and the, the people gathered together and joined their hearts together in prayer. And, and look what the prayer contains. They quoted David. It contains words of Scripture. They reflected on their current events and current situations. But they also gave God their request. It's actually a really good model for prayer. Preacher, how do I pray? Well, Lift up the name of Jesus, recite scripture, reflect on your current situation, bring your request before God. It's a great way to pray. But how do you know the difference between healthy corporate prayer and someone just praying to just show off? Well, first of all, you need to worry less about how the other guy's praying and worry more about your own heart. You know, we've all got that relative who proclaims all of the Old Testament names of God over the Thanksgiving turkey. Oh, Jehovah Jireh, bless this bird in the great name of, uh, you know, Yahweh Nisi, and, and they throw out all the Old Testament names of God, and the, and the turkey is greatly blessed. We probably have that person in our family. Don't worry about him. Instead, it's a heart check for us, not our opportunity to judge others. Which raises the question, does our corporate prayer life flow from a healthy private prayer life? Do you pray more in church than you pray in your closet? Do you find yourself changing your vocabulary when you pray? What do you mean? You all know that person that suddenly they speak, they speak like a North Georgia person, but when it's time to pray, they go into the King's English? <laughs> like God speaks King James. You know that, right? Do you find yourself comparing your words to the words of others? The third illustration is about fasting. Look at verses 16 through 18. When you fast, not if you fast. We need to underline that one. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, not if you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, we've really lost this devotional discipline. We, we got prayer. We understand the importance of giving. But fasting? I preach this is a Baptist church. We don't know the meaning of the word fast. We only fast when the doctor tells us to fast because we've got a procedure coming up tomorrow, so we've got to fast. Just answer this question honestly in your heart. When's the last time you fasted for non-medical reasons? When's the last time you fasted for spiritual reasons, not for medical reasons? In spite of the fact that we don't do it well, fasting may be one of the most personal devotional activities that we can participate in and it should never be used as a way to garner sympathy jesus words here they remind me of the old rice krispie treat commercials y'all remember this commercial from back in the 90s
Oh, mom, you shouldn't have. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. When you fast, don't, don't be like that. Oh, you shouldn't have done it. That's, you, you shouldn't, oh, you're, you're so spiritual. Your, your devotion is so great. That's not what it should be like. Instead, it should be something that's between you and the Lord. The religious leaders would make sure that everybody knew how spiritual they were, that they were fasting. But that's not how it ought to be in the kingdom of God. D.A. Carson said, We human beings are a strange lot. We hear high moral injunctions and glimpse just a little the genuine beauty of perfect holiness. And then we prostitute the vision by dreaming about the way others would hold us in high esteem if we were like that. The demand for genuine perfection loses itself in the lesser goal of external piety. The goal of pleasing the Father is traded for its pygmy cousin, the goal of pleasing man. Let us always keep in mind the praises of men and keep in mind that it is a very flighty reward. Remember, the same crowd that shouted the praises of Jesus on Palm Sunday sought his crucifixion on Good Friday. The crowd is not necessarily who I want on my team. But the crowd is who we are programmed to seek after. In everything. In, in the way that we're programmed on social media is to get the crowd to like, get the crowd to comment, get the crowd to engage. Get the crowd to give me a thumbs up. At the end of the play, when the actor comes onto the stage, what's the actor looking for? The standing ovation. The roar of the fans. The electricity of the applause. But in our devotion to God, it is not the approval of the crowd we seek, but the simple words from our Heavenly Father. Well done. Well done. Well done. Would you pray with me, please? God, I ask that you help us to be people who are more concerned about pleasing our Father than we are about pleasing others. God, we all have experiences where others will fail us. Well, the crowd will let us down. Well, the crowd turns on us. But if we give with you in mind and we pray with your attention at heart. And we fast not to be seen by others, but that our heart may be laid bare before you. Well, then we know that there's a greater reward, not the fleeting applause of the crowd. God, I pray that you might help us 
be ever mindful of our hearts and our desire to please men. Because, God, we know that our reward in heaven is far greater than a pat on the back from man. Lord, if there's any in this place today who maybe their devotion has been pointed in the wrong direction, and today they need to seek you out. Maybe they've been praying in the wrong direction. Today they need to direct their prayer to you. Maybe there's some here today, some listening at home, who for whatever reason have neglected to put their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, I pray that today, that today be the day of salvation. And that there would be those today who would lay down their sin, would give themselves over to you, their Redeemer, their friend. Lord, you don't want us to clean up. You don't want us to, to, to get it right inside first. As we're about to sing, we come just as we are in our brokenness, in our mess, crying out to you for deliverance, and you are there, and you are faithful, and you are ready to save us. In these next few moments, if there's any here in the room or who, who need to follow Jesus, then may they have the confidence to come and find me or another pastor. They're at home. There's some options for how they can connect with us, and, and, and God, that they just have the courage to, to just even, even click a button of what to do next. God, move in our hearts now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.